Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 493 for October 16th, 2019. On today's show, drummer Dor Herskovitz. This show is supported by its members, without whom the Jazz Session would literally not be possible. I'm trying very hard to make this show and my other podcast, A Brief Chat, into my living, and you can help me do that by joining today at thejazzsession.com slash join. There are now two levels, $5 and $10 per month. Both come with cool bonus material. And big thanks to Mikhail for moving from the $5 to the $10 level. You can do the same at thejazzsession.com slash join. Spasiba. Dor Herskovitz has two new albums out. One is called Flying Elephants, featuring his quintet. The other is with the band Earprint. It's an album called Easy Listening. From Flying Elephants, here's the tune Bangin'. Herskovitz, welcome to the Jazz Session. Great to have you here. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. You have two brand new albums out, both of which I really, really like. One of which is called Flying Elephants with your quintet, and the other is with the band Earprint called Easy Listening. I'd like to start with Flying Elephants, and in particular the song Bangin' that's on it, or the tune Bangin', which uh, to me kind of encapsulates a lot of what I really like about these ensembles, both of these ensembles, which is that I feel like in both cases, they are able to hold more than one idea at the same time musically. So whether it's, you know, kind of genre wise or thematically or stylistically, you seem quite good at arranging things so that different ideas are sometimes layered over one another and they all end up making sense. So there's kind of like a free jazz element to this and a, you know, like a straight ahead hard bop element to this and everything when it when it comes together, it it just seems like it always should have been that way. So I wanted to ask you about, first of all, whether or not you even agree with that, and then I guess second, just about that idea of of layering different elements together, how that works for you as an arranger. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for paying so much attention to the music and really listening to it. It's always heartwarming to hear someone who's really checked it out, and you know, probably more than once, too. I think that one of the things that I love about music and art in general is to have all kinds of elements in it. You know, I I don't like to limit myself to one genre, like to be like, okay, I'm just going to play this straight ahead stuff or just a rock or just kind of like free music. I, I kind of like a balance of things. In both cases, both with Earprint and Flying Elephants, I think that comes out really nicely. I mean, Earprint is a band that I've been with for about five years now. 
probably the longest I've ever been with any band. And we've kind of done that from the start. We've always had a lot of different eclectic styles to our music. That also stems from the fact that we are four different composers that write different tunes. And so there's kind of a balance of things. But I found that with my music, I never really tried to put it in any particular box. I don't really like to stay in one, on one thing for too long. I get bored really easily. <laughs> Maybe that's one of the things that kind of draw, drew, drew me to uh, playing improvised music and things that, you know, never really repeat. You play a solo one night or a song a certain night and the next night or even the same night in a different set, it's played completely differently. And I think that that kind of filters into the composition aspect as well. Talking about banging, I wrote that tune actually as a homage to uh, infantile humor. <laughs> it was kind of like a private joke <laughs> with uh, me and Simone, Simone Wilson, you know, the bass player from Earprint. Uh, we played this gig in Switzerland together, usually like well, twice a year, and we'd have a lot of time to compose and just chill there. And Anyway, also make a lot of jokes, and that kind of came out. I do like the, the use of humor and that kind of like captures that feeling, you know, kind of humor, but also something that I take very seriously, which is the music. And I think that music needs a little bit of humor in it. So I think that maybe is the combination of something that's, you know, it's still swinging, it's still jazz, it's still kind of drawing from hard bop, like you said. And I checked out all the stuff like Blakey and, you know, Coltrane and every you know all the great jazz cats that I would transcribe and play this kind of music you know that's in there but also free jazz and also just an element of humor something that's a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit kind of like childish even <laughs> so I think that's pretty much what I was going for with that tune and really a lot of it is out of my hands eventually because when we start playing the music it's all up to the to the band members and and how they improvise Bangin' was a tune that I wrote not specifically for the, for my band. We almost recorded it with the earprint and ended up not putting it on the album. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to put it with the other album. <laughs> I'm going to record it with the other band. And it sounded very different, but it worked with both bands. And I love that you brought up the element of humor, because to to stick with the album Flying Elephants for a, a few more minutes, the there are a lot of moments on this record that really made me smile. Just thinking of even the the way it it opens with magenta and i was listening to it and thinking you know if i played this for like a fish fan and said this is yeah. a new fish track with a guest saxophone player on it i could get 9 out of 10 of them to not even bat an eye <laughs> i think that that was true and then the very next song is pretty clearly a monk 
<laughs> homage recursion and and then yeah. but right in the but it doesn't it doesn't really use the melodic elements it just uses the structure except there's a bit like maybe three quarters of the way through where all of a sudden there's a direct melodic quote that just made me laugh the first time I heard it. It was like, it was almost like saying, yeah, we get it. And then, you know, on, <laughs> it, on it goes with the song. those things to me they don't they don't lessen the impact of the music i think to me they're like holding the gate open a little wider for people just to say like yeah you know there's all kinds of stuff in here it's okay to come in yeah yeah there's something in there for everyone you know <laughs> and it's not because i'm trying to have people like it like all everyone you know i i'm I don't, i'm not trying to to make it popular i'm just trying to basically do all the things that i like and i think that it comes out as, as something that's honest. And with that monk influence, you know, I think there's a lot of humor and a lot of that kind of freedom with monk's music, a lot of quirkiness, same with Mingus. And I think you can hear kind of the influence of both of those artists on uh, Recursion. Although you're totally right, I totally, I, that's the only song that I based off an actual standard uh, monk's epistrophe. It actually started with me arranging epistrophe for for a band and kind of writing this whole elaborate arrangement around it and then just took the melody out of it so basically <laughs> we were just left with the structure just like you said you know one thing about talking about people like monk and mingus is that nowadays they are so far removed from us that they've become you know these kind of revered figures in the world of music i mean certainly as they should be both of those particular people you know geniuses period but at the time yeah. that they were playing, there was a lot of humor in what they did, too. Yes, people understood that this was music of the highest order, but it it wasn't the same as going to uh, a recital or something. I mean, if you you know when you watch yeah. a video of Monk performing or Mingus performing, I mean, it's a it's a real show with performative elephants, with laughter, with, you know, things that things that are I think as important to the experience of the music as the music itself in some ways and I, I really appreciate that it's okay to recognize that on this record too yeah yeah I mean and I'm trying to bring those elements into live performances as well with my band I started uh, experimenting with you know incorporating more of el more artistic elements to the actual show maybe the way we present the tunes I mean there's nothing wrong with just saying, okay, this was this and that tune, and the next one is going to be this and that, or here are the band members, and, and that's it. You know, it's respectful and it's uh, elegant, but sometimes it's nice to try and incorporate more 
interaction with the audience. Like I would try things like uh, have the band members each say a word, kind of like an improv session, you know, and, and talk to the audience in that way. And it, it, it creates really interesting uh, results. You know, it's like, hello, welcome to the show. And, you know, you keep adding like uh, words, but it never goes the way I actually wanted it to. Because people try to mess around with it, you know, and take it to weird places. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about what these songs are like live. How how far they go from what we hear on the Flying Elephants record? Well, I think that the songs have a very strong character to them, so that some of that will always stay there. You know, the melodies always kind of govern how the, the improvisation is going to go and the structure of the song. But, but I really tried to write a lot of really open tunes for, for Flying Elephant, just because the improvisers, the band members that I took uh, for this album are just phenomenal improvisers. They, they, they're so imaginative and so open-minded that they can take anything, any kind of raw material that I give them and make it into something amazing and, and so creative and new. So I left, I left a lot of space. So if you hear us play this live, it'll be very different in the improvisation aspect. But I think you'll always get the main core of the, of the music. You know, the core of the tune is always going to be there because the improvisers know how to address it, you know? They always understand the main idea, the atmosphere, the, you know, there's always like the harmonic and melodic elements that they use, but there's something about uh, each world has sort of like a inner world of its own, which... You can define by notes and harmonies and certain things, but it's more of an atmosphere. It's more of an idea. And sometimes just telling the band members what the idea was in my head might help them. For example, Flying Elephants, the title track, that was really the influence for the whole, for making the whole album. When I learned that I'm going to be a daddy for the first time, I decided to uh, write this tune. I, I started writing this melody that kind of sounded like Baby Mobile, you know, the thing that spins around yeah. above the cradle. I was trying to write something like that, kind of like with no particular intention, just to see what that would sound like. And, and as I was doing it, I kind of started imagining this whole story where a baby lies in the crib looking at this uh, mobile, listening to the music, and falls asleep. And the mobile has these elephant figures on it uh, spinning around with stars and clouds and all kinds of things that I was imagining. And they, basically the idea is that the baby falls, falls asleep and goes into an imaginary world in his dream where the elephants talk to him and he kind of joins them on this crazy adventure where they fly off into the dream world. 
But the thing was that that was the composition that I wrote, but I never knew what the dream world would be like. And I told this to the band members. I'm like, okay, this is the, the tune that I wrote. That's the idea. And they dug it. And then the solo section that I wrote is basically going to be the dream world. So they took that to mind, you know, and, and they decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do with it. And you hear how imaginative they are in the solo section. It sounds like it was almost composed, like it was part of the composition. You know, you hear these uh, elephant cries and uh, little birds fluttering around on the piano solo. And the guitar solo is like this big giant elephant stomping around. And when I heard that, when we recorded in the studio, it was just perfect, you know. And basically that kind of gave birth to a whole new thing. already on the subject, I made a stop-motion animation video for this, depicting the whole story. And so I took what the players played in their, in their solos and kind of made that part of the story. And you can check it out if you go on my website or um, Facebook page or YouTube. It's in a bunch of places. You can kind of check out that music together with the music video and it tells the story how I perceived it. Has your baby since been born? Yes. He's five months old now. Congratulations. Thank you. And I think uh, he'll enjoy watching and listening to this music when he's older. I mean, he loves music already, but a little hard to tell what he thinks about it right now. Yeah, five months is uh, a little early for a review, I think. I hope he, <laughs> I, yeah, I hope he likes it when he grows up, you know, and, and kind of sees that it's a nice present for him, really. That's kind of what it was meant to be. You've referred to this quintet as a dream team. Will you talk about who's in the band and why you feel that way? First of all, they're all really good friends of mine. Almost all of us met at the New England Conservatory when we went there um, in Boston. The bass player, Max Ridley, he's my homie. He's, he didn't go to NEC, but we just met here in Boston. And he's like the bass player that I play with all the time. 
you know how it is, bass and drums, it's a special relationship. And we play in each other's bands and a couple of other bands together, like uh, Bert Seeger's Detraptic, basically some local bands here in New York. And, you know, he's like a soulmate. We understand each other perfectly. We always go to these crazy places and it's like, you don't even think twice. You know that you're going to come out together (laughs) at the other end. He's a super creative guy, really special character, like really exhilarating to play with him. And so he's on bass, Max Ridley. On piano, we have Isaac Wilson from L.A., such an imaginative pianist and just unbelievable beast on the actual instrument. I mean, I don't know if you checked out all of the tracks, but even just Flying Elephants, just listening to that intro, you know, that's his improvised intro. He, I mean, I wrote the tune and I wrote like something in the beginning, but he composed on the spot like this whole crazy sort of like a intro to a Pixar movie thing <laughs> just going into into the song, you know, and, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> how did you create that out of thin air? So he's a beast and he's really a swinging pianist, lives in New York right now. And then we have Caio Afuni on guitar from Brazil, just a super smart, super creative guitarist, has all kinds of sounds, which is really the advantage of having, having a guitar player on, you know. I use him more like a horn player rather than a chordal instrument, but he adds his own harmonies wherever he sees fit. He's sort of like the professor of harmony. He knows all the chords, you know, like that uh, <laughs> Dire Straits tune. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Super amazing, amazing guitar player. He's just moved to New York. He's also playing with uh, Christian Sands and um, all kinds of good people. Then we have Eddie Paz on saxophone. Eddie is from Cuba originally, and he's been living in New York for many years now, but we met him at NEC as well. And he, you know, he's one of those players that can play a melody, even if it's the most out melody, really crazy stuff, it'll sound like someone singing in your in your ear. It's really, he has a way of communicating his sound so, so profoundly. He's been doing a lot of great stuff in New York, playing with uh, some free jazz players, Francisco Mella, he plays in his band, people like Chris Davis and all kinds of great things. So he's really happening in New York right now. So really most of the band lives in New York. <laughs> but at the time, me and Max and Kaya were in Boston, so it was sort of like a hybrid band. Right now, just me and Max are here, still in Boston, and the rest are in New York. It's kind of nice to go back and forth and play a gig here, play, play a gig there, and hopefully we can continue doing that for, for a long time because it's just a special connection. You know, when you find people that are you have such a good personal connection with and musically we just see things the same way. You know, we go to all these interesting places and there's not a lot of boundaries. I can I feel like I can bring any kind of tune and they'll make it happen, you know? And that's a rare thing to find. Let's take a break from the music to talk about happiness. What is happiness? For me, happiness means the freedom to be creative and the ability to live my life on my own terms. For me, the jazz session is not only an expression of happiness, but a means of creating it. What I mean by that is that every new member of the jazz session puts me one step closer to a life in which I don't have a boss in which I work for myself, and the people who enjoy my work take part in the process by helping to fund it. 
Add to that the enormous archive of nearly 500 interviews and the continued work of documenting modern improvised music, and the whole package makes me, there's really no other word for it, happy. Join the movement today by becoming a member for $5 or $10 at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to every show, and more. Do it right now, thejazzsession.com slash join. And now, back to the episode. attention to earprints easy listening and (laughs) the reason this interview is happening at all is because of uh, jackson epstein and the reason for that is that one of the ways i find out about new records is of course promoters and pr people and that kind of thing send me email and say you know this such and such a record is out and often uh, the cover art for that record is in there and it's the, the second i saw the easy listening cover art this is more or less exactly the email I sent to the promoter. I said, if this album is even half as good as the art for this album, I definitely want to interview whoever is behind it. Can you please send me the audio? <laughs> and uh, so yeah. he did. He said the album is killing too, and he, you know, here's the music. This is one of those cases. I don't ever read anything before I listen to the music. I don't read liner notes. I don't read press materials. I I just listen. But you can't not have seen the cover in most cases. Yeah. And this is a case where when you see the cover, which is essentially a, a, a cool, almost kind of seventies, like judge dread style line, thin line drawing of a guy at the controls of maybe some sort of spacecraft or something as soon. And, and it looks like it ha- yeah. might also have a musical attachment. It's hard to tell. As soon as you see the cover, it kind of puts you in a particular headspace where you, even if you don't know what's going to come musically, you have an idea that it is going to be, it's going to be something other than kind of middle of the road. And I, I feel yeah. like the music certainly, of course, it's also called easy listening, which is funny. The music certainly lives up to the cover art, but that is how, that is how the, all this happened. So before we talk about the music at all, um, did you have anything yeah. to do with getting the cover of this record to be on the record? Jackson has done two album covers for us. This is the second earprint album. And he also did the first one. So if you check it out, it's on Spotify and everywhere, really. You'll see the first cover art, which was just like one of the, our favorite things about the album. <laughs> like, just like you said, you know, he's so amazing. And I think that our saxophone player, Kevin's son, is the one that kind of thought about Jackson for, for the first album because he saw his work with other artists and he really liked it. And so we asked him, we just let him listen to the music and just asked him to draw something. And he came up with this crazy thing. It's like this guy uh, sort of like looks like a hipster or something that sits at this crazy control panel that's half 
organic half machine you know it's just like the thing that it was just perfect i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to describe it but he basically got the gist of the music and did his thing with it and it went along perfectly and so it wasn't even a question for the second album to, to get him to do it as well and i think that the differences in the album covers are also indicative of how the music changed you know it he made the second album cover very solid you know it's this smooth kind of uh almost like it's just two colors if i remember correctly it's really like specific clear idea and i think that it's in a way symbolizes how the music has become a lot more solidified or the style that we play or you know the kind of like the ethos of the band kind of became more and more stable as we went with the second album and yeah i think he's a phenomenal artist and it's so important people kind of like dismiss the album art sometimes or think oh i'm just going to put a picture on or something but i think it's really important to try and make it a whole piece of art even though people don't have cd players anymore <laughs> or record players you know uh it's it's nice to add many things to it uh, so people can enjoy the product. They can look at something to get into an atmosphere, like you said, to, to, to have an idea of what the music is maybe going to sound like. And then maybe in the liner notes, you can add more things that are interesting to read. And so you, you know, I, I miss that feeling of having a record and just sitting with it and week after week, just listening to the same thing and looking at every detail and finding new things. That's kind of part of what I like about music and even though a lot of people don't buy cds today or would listen more streaming i think it's important to have that option for someone who does You mentioned that this is the the longest continuous ensemble you've been part of, Earprint. Uh, tell me about how this band got together and how it has changed, because you mentioned that the music has evolved as well. We all got together also at New England Conservatory. We all, all went there. And on my second year, I believe, Kevin, the saxophone player, he had the idea of putting it together. He just said, here's a bunch of killing guys. Let's play. Let's do a session. And I want to try like this really hard music that I wrote we met and we tried to play all these uh, tunes that he wrote. They were like crazy hard, you know, things that we didn't normally have a chance to play. You know, we'd never tackled that kind of stuff. That's how it started. We just would, we would do a session once in a while and we tried these tunes and it really was mostly Kevin's concept in the beginning. But then we all started pitching in some tunes of our own and we brought different things into it and, 
we said, you know, it's starting to sound good. Maybe we should try this little gig here at the Harvard Advocate. That was the first uh, gig we ever did. It's this newspaper from Harvard. So we, we played our first gig there to, you know, maybe like 15 people. It was like, oh, that was fun, you know, let's uh, let's continue this. And it kind of continued and we started booking more gigs. And suddenly this hard music that we were trying to play suddenly didn't seem so hard. It became this natural thing. And we started to find our sound, really. By the time we recorded our first album, we had already toured around the Northeast and did a bunch of gigs from around uh, Montreal down to uh, D.C., I guess. And there's something that really got solidified in, in our sound. And we decided, okay, this is what kind of fits us. We wrote a little bit more through composed things, uh, shorter bits of music that are, you know, music that is maybe very complex, but it's in small dosage so that people can really take it in. And it's not like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore <laughs> after like five minutes of the song. <laughs> and so you can get a really clear idea of, of a song, a composition, and this composition has to be really strong. And there's, of course, improvised parts, but it's not just like this open thing, you know, play a 12 bar blues and start blowing for 12 minutes. that kind of got solidified is that it's a really groove-based band. We don't have a quarter player, it's only two horns and, and bass and drums. And so harmony has a part, but it's a lot of melodies and a lot of groove. And then that also, I think, really makes it more accessible to people that don't necessarily listen to jazz or don't know how to listen to things in a more analytic way. So that it's really kind of simple. You know, you have a groove, and there's an improvised part and the, the melodies are very strong. It's almost like a little party, you know, but a weird party. <laughs> Unlike Flying Elephants, where all of the music was written by you, this, as you mentioned, uh, this album, Easy Listening, contains pieces by everybody. How do you keep yeah. a kind of cohesiveness to the band when everybody is bringing in compositions? Is there? Do you think people like kind of write for the band's particular style? Is it the playing of the music that causes it to be cohesive? What are your thoughts about that? I think that in general, if you put people together, a sound can kind of create itself. And and there's some cohesion that happens with people just trying to listen to each other and play together after a while. And so that's already an element that you don't really have to do anything. It just happens on its own. But 
I, I think that the balance between the ways that we all compose adds to the interesting element. I mean, basically, it's a little bit less predictable, a little bit more uh, variation between the compositions, and it makes the album as a whole or a concert as a whole more interesting. You go through different atmospheres, different kind of vibes, and I like that, you know, and a lot of the bands that I like, sort of like the Bad Plus did that, you know, it's like a collective of people that played different like compositions from the different uh, band members and they have a different vibe, but they kind of have a united sound as a band. The compositions, we, we sort of have our own styles of composing and, and those styles have solidified over the years. So now we kind of know what kind of tunes each one of us would write. And everyone that brings a tune in has a very pretty clear idea of what it's going to sound like. So we don't spend too much time with earprint uh, really rehearsing that much or trying to figure out how to make the song happen. It usually just happens right away, which is a pretty rare thing, you know. <laughs> I can bring like something and, and they just get it. kind of went from doing a lot of through composed really complex kind of longer pieces that are I mean not really long but a lot more notes written on the page to a little bit more open on the second album we have more room for interpretation more room for, for improvisation and the compositions are a little bit more concise I guess you know we used to I don't know I'm thinking about like a first album I had this song called Clock Years which is like this really complex thing it's so hard to play through and it's a lot of notes and a lot of changes and things. And I don't think I would write that right now <laughs> for any band, really. But, but especially for, I wouldn't bring that in now. You know, I've, I've gone past that. Dor, are there chances for people to see either of these ensembles live coming up anytime soon? And I should just mention that if people are listening to this around the time it was released, then today is October 16th, 2019. Yeah. Um, so on October 27th, my band is playing at the Lily Pad in Boston. Uh, it's in Cambridge, actually. With Earprint, we're trying to book a gig in New York pretty soon. So be on the lookout. You know, it's going to be on all of our websites if you go into any of our schedules. When we'll let you know. My guest for this show has been drummer Dor Herskovitz. He's on two brand new records with his band, uh, his own band, a record called Flying Elephants. And with the band Earprint, an album called Easy Listening. Both are great, and I recommend them to you highly. Dor, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you for the first time. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, and I, I do hope you'll come back. Thank you, Jason. It was a pleasure. If you like what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. 
Thanks to my guest this week, Dor Herskovitz. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show since the very beginning. You can find them at respectsextet.com. Dave Rabel designed the logo. You can follow this show on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, or on Instagram at the Jazz Session. At both of those places, I post a clip from the archives each weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Please do rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the show move up in the rankings, and I would be very appreciative. There's a newsletter that comes out twice a month for this show and my other podcast, which is called A Brief Chat, and it talks about my poetry and all kinds of stuff. You can subscribe to it by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on Newsletter. If all goes according to plan, my guest next week will be Italian cellist Francesco Gheri. Support live music whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.